Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new season of Midweek Motorsport. Happy New Year! It's 2020 and this is the 15th season of Midweek Motorsport. I'm giggling already because I know as soon as I throw it to Tim he's going to say Happy New Year as well. Episode 1, midday if you're in the UK, although it will also be playing at its normal time of 8 o'clock as well. And that's because the whole team are here in Dubai for the 15th running of the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai. I'm not. It's not quite true. We'll get... I'm, not, well, I'm not there. Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year, John. And yes, happy, well, happy New Year to the... uh, Joe and Bruce and Johnny. And Nick. Not, not in the booth, Joe, Bruce and Johnny at the moment. Or Nick. Or no. Nick. Well, we'll come to Nick um, in a moment. Uh, happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year, everybody! Hooray for Series 15! Nick, you well don't sound like you're in Dubai. No, I, 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 I am not. I am, I'm due to the posturing of, uh, of the of, of various uh, political people. <laughs> well, it is posturing, isn't it? I have been, I've got, I got, I got, to, got to nearly into Iraqi airspace last night, and for some reason they decided it wasn't a particularly good idea. We turned back to Istanbul. So I'm back in Istanbul, not Constantinople. That's a joke that we're going to be using a lot this weekend. In fairness, um, you were meant if you'd taken off the time you were meant to take off last night, you'd have, you'd have had a bird's eye view of what was going on. Uh, we yeah. had fireworks outside the hotel last night. You would have had better better view where you were. Uh, the boys will be here for the weekend. It may slightly affect some of our early coverage of the Hankook 24 hours uh, of uh, Dubai. Uh, glad to know that you are um, safe and sound. At least, and uh, I've got, we'll, I, I also, I've got, when you get I've also got a really, sorry, I was really, I just really doing travel log. I've got the most amazing view out of my window. Over, overcast and dull Istanbul. No, no, we are, we are actually on the coast, and there are at least a hundred parked container ships in my view, if not more. Right, all parked up on the Bosphorus, Bruce Todd, because obviously Bruce is the man with the actual education of the team. Uh, we'll be back with Nick in just a few moments time yeah and everything and listen Uh, we'll be back with Nick in just a few moments time uh, at Specutainment if you want to be in touch and realise that quite a lot of you in reading uh, from the tweets uh, Carol Brink uh, not getting up, I don't think, at four o'clock in the morning, uh, California time for this one. Was happy to know that it will be repeated. And one or two people saying that there will be also uh, uh, listening in on the 
podcast or the repeat at the early time of uh, the day that we are at today. Uh, load up the jingle, Tim, and let's have the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. That top story could only be in one place. Uh, we're going to start with some Formula One news. Hooray again! Double hooray! What a day! Uh, <laughs> and specifically some Dutch Formula One news. Well, if any other sort of Formula One news, it's not orange, it ain't happening. Uh, we've actually got a couple of Dutch Formula One stories uh, for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm not preempting because obviously there's a big one, so you've obviously found something minor to go with first. Uh, no, we're going to start with the big one. Or the uh, 16 million big ones that. Uh, Is that all? That uh, Max Verstappen's going to make each year. Yes. In the in what was, I think it was kind of you know rig, uh, said to be it's going to be the, the most amazing F1 silly season ever. TM uh, is already kind of um, petering out before it started. As um, we well, whilst not, we knew he wasn't going to be involved, uh, Charles Leclerc signed a long-term contract with Ferrari a couple of weeks ago, and then quite surprisingly, young Max Verstappen signed himself up for four more years. That's a, that's a common rallying cry this for this season, I'm sure. For four more years with uh, with Red Bull Racing on uh, Monday, that was side, wasn't it? And yeah, he's got more money, but he's the key thing is he's, he's committed his position into Red Bull. He's decided they are the team looking to deliver a world championship, and he's. Therefore, almost certainly at that point, knew there was no option of going anywhere else. So, therefore, he wanted to take the money. So, you kind of go, all right. So, th- this this makes you look at why would he not keep his options open to go to Mercedes? Either he's unbelievably confident that Red Bull are going to be the best team of all, which is you know, which is just not possible to prove one way or the other, or he uh, is, has been told he he's not actually someone that, that Mercedes are entertaining in the short term. And in the medium term, of course, there's always performance clauses to contracts, aren't there? Uh, There's a great quote from Verstappen's manager, Raymond Vermeulen, who said... uh, Thanks for the cash. He said, uh, (laughs) the most important thing is to win. Max feels like a fish in water with Red Bull. Excellent. So he's not a lamprey or a lungfish, just an ordinary ordinary sort of trout then. Has to be in the water. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's... (sighs) It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think, I think you know, re- realistically, Lewis was never going to go to Red Bull. The choice for him, this next signature, is more two two more years uh, with Mercedes or taking the massive coin and the and the uh, the the the, yeah, the presence of mind to go to, and the potential hero worship to go to Ferrari. And that'd be interesting which way he goes. I think most of us think he's going to continue on with Mercedes uh, again for another couple of years. So. You know, with with effectively the number ones now being decided, as, as obviously Leclerc will be the, the de facto number one moving forward with Ferrari. I mean, uh, Fettel has one more year, and only really the lack of any obvious successor uh, from the Ferrari program, or much, or, or kind of out with the Ferrari program at the moment, would seem to make, give him a chance of being signed up again. Because not only is he not quite on his game, he's also causing trouble, which is not a good combination, really. But uh, Verstappen's taken the the, uh, the the coin. He's a uh, you know, he's got the same problem he had last year, and he's not got an experienced teammate, so he's going to have to try and do a lot of the development himself. But, um, yeah, I mean, I th- I'm, I'm surprised at the timing. I'm surprised that they decided to get it sorted out so quickly, but obviously that was something that Red Bull felt they needed to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's going to kind of mean that the you know we now have, I think, four drivers for next year contract. There's, there's still many other interesting things that will be happening in driver contracts, but it does mean probably 
the top end of the market would be very, very stable. Uh, that brings us on to our second Dutch story. Right. Which involves Jan Lammers. Right, that is going back a bit. Doesn't everything... Uh, it doesn't everything in Dutch motorsport at the moment involve Jan Lammers? Uh, quite a lot of it does. He is the boss of the Dutch Grand Prix, <laughs> of course. Uh, but he reckons of which that, more later? Yes. He reckons that uh, Mercedes are going to uh, leave Formula 1 at the end of 2021. I've heard this as well, Nick, from a, a number of, of, of sources. And one of the reasons why the current regulations were extended is so that they kept hold of Mercedes because... Apparently, the word was that they didn't want to have to spend the money on developing a new car and a new engine in particular. Well, yeah, I mean, the engine was a, was a kind of a group decision between all the engine manufacturers because when, when no one knew was obviously going to divert the, the rumours about Cosworth, no one stepped up the plate. The four people who developed the engine, which was, of course, Honda, Renault, Ferrari, and Mercedes, said, well, why should we design a new one? We're quite happy with what we've got. And they went, oh, fair enough then. Um, yeah, there's a lot of rumours at the moment that, um, that Mercedes might pull out because at the end of 2021 they, that means they, they've still made the massive investments in the new car um mm. you know it's it's it is obviously a a step-by-step valid you know marketing decision for Mercedes. They, they obviously put a lot of money in the sport extricate themselves would be rather expensive as well because they have over a thousand employees wouldn't give much pr and despite the amount of money they spend it is still when you actually work out what marketing dollars are it is still massively good value to do f1 that's why they do it because and they they're selling engines as well of course aren't they yeah they get presents and cover they never get elsewhere you know you think that yeah we, we may think oh there's a few million less people watching in the uk or there's there's 10 million more here but it's just it's one of the it's the only global sport uh, global circus sport that runs every year to that level and Mercedes are front and centre and have been well literally front and centre the last six years and you know and uh, the, the the kudos and the, uh, the publicity can't be underestimated from being in the sport and it's, that's why they're doing it and there's a lot of conversations about what to replace it but yeah, you go okay right so Mercedes are now in, in Formula E which is great and you look at other companies in, in other echelons of motorsport but if you actually want to reach the public not just the motorsport fan the only motorsport you can do that in is F1. It's the only one with any footprint outside people who like racing cars or cars. And it's got that zeitgeist mm. and everything else. And, that's, and, and yeah, we, obviously our station is, is much more of a broader church. We have to accept that in the, in the world of the public, you know, if you walk, walked up a man in the street and said, do you know Lewis Hamilton or do you know that Mercedes are in F1? Most of them would go, yes. Do you know anything about Formula E? No. It may be lovely and green and super, but the return for your vote, yeah, and they're investing much less money, but I reckon their return per dollar invested is way lower than it is in F1. It's just a massive behemoth. It should never be underestimated. We, and people push against it, but you can't. It is just established and enormous, and whilst Europe may be slightly falling out of love with it, yeah, the third, yeah, the, 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 the place like India are, are grabbing it with both hands. Particularly given that they're through all of their dollars, sorry, euros, into it, um, having withdrawn from DTM. We're going to try and get René de Boer, um, who knows all things about Dutch motorsport and touring cars. We're going to try and get him into the studio okay. um, a bit later on. Um, you know, the, Mercedes managed to extricate themselves from DTM um, and they 
huge expense of that as a, as a national championship because they wanted to, to, I think, concentrate on Formula One. All right, Formula E's come along as well since then. But in, in spend terms, Formula E is, is actually a no-brainer for a manufacturer because it's so cheap in relative terms. I, I, I don't know, Nick. I, I, I've heard these rumours, but it, it doesn't... How, how long let me, let me before... Ask, let me ask you a question. Let me well, ask you a question, John. What has not been signed yet? Right, go on. The new Concord. The, the, the new, and so who does it benefit having rumours they're going to leave swirling about? Uh, anybody who might want Hasn't to have signed a yet. better deal done. <laughs> Yes. Exactly. Well, I mean, let I'm me, not, I'm not, let I, me yeah, never say never, but there's no there's no driving reason for them to leave like there was for Toyota and Honda in the downturn and, and yeah. BMW as well. And walking away at this point, you know, the problem that yeah, it's not even the case where they could they could sell it's very hard just to sell Brackley to, you know, billionairecanadia.com because um, you know, it is just such a large operation. Now obviously we've got the nothing to remember is that come twenty twenty one we've got a cost cap. So suddenly you get F1 for $200 million less. So why would you put, if you're going to pull out, why would you pull out when suddenly it's got cheaper? You know, it's... Yes. It's a, it, so... It, let, it, let me... Let me throw a question at you. Daimler, um, the parent company, laying off um, ten to 20,000 workers, albeit worldwide. Um, the German economy, whilst not in the toilet, te- teetering... Uh, on the very edge of the ball of going into recession, uh, held off going into recession officially by 0.01% or something ridiculous. Um, everything being looked at. And and this is the key thing for me, and, and I'll ask you this, when does the law of diminishing returns kick in for Mercedes just winning everything? Um, yeah, that is an interesting question. And, and it's... It, I, I think... The, they all, yeah. There is a point where yeah, you keep doing it. People are looking for a change. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the moment they've got they're in a rather lovely position where they got you know everyone is, is actually interested in what they're doing because there's a chance that, that Lewis will break all sorts of all-time records. That does actually that's you know, a good point. the interest of the press. That's a good point. You know, a, a, an all-time and he's got like five, he's got three within grasp next year. Three big ones, all, but most wins, equal number of championships, and also most podiums. Most podiums he should waltz next year. Um, you know, and you know, so there's that that interest is there. Lewis Hamilton also is, is a you know again outside of the very very insular motorsport fan world, he is a global superstar. He's not just yep. well known. He's not just a Royster Doyce. He's a global superstar who yep. who who Great. can push numbers. Yeah, so in many ways, you know, it, as long as Mercedes have Lewis Hamilton, they got so much you know, so much knock on effect from what he does. But it's, yeah, and more importantly, they've got kudos, they've got the, the, the youth appeal and everything else. And then, we, you know, it is very complex. And there's always a point, and we do know this, absolutely, the only, the only team this doesn't apply to is Ferrari. But every manufacturer will eventually leave. It will always happen. They'll always go away. They, might come, they, they may come back. And with Formula One getting cheaper again, or, or, or sorry, less expensive, we may, you know, who yes, knows, BMW might come back. You know, because now it's 140 million. They obviously want to build an engine. It might mean they might come back for the next cycle of engines. But you know, there's that. That is the option that's there. Also, with the, you know, it's it's you know, can can Mercedes sell the team? But I mean, I, you know, if if we if we're doing Series 20, will Mercedes be there in five or six years time? 
you know, it's so much tight with economics, and you probably think it's, it, it'd be a long run, and perhaps not. But I don't see... I, 2021 makes no sense as a pullout year to me. It suddenly got cheaper, and they've made all the investment in the new car. Mm. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. But I, I, I'm looking further forward from that, and I think it's a no-brainer in the short to medium term. And, and the record, the quest for records, and another great press release, that... That makes it a no-brainer straight away. Uh, by the way, isn't it great hearing um, race car engines in the background in the early part of the year? Um, I, but I, I'm looking beyond that. I'm looking further yeah. beyond that. And what happens, for example, let's say that Hamilton stays with them. And, you know, Toto's been, Toto Wolf um, being coy about whether he can hold on to Hamilton. But let's say Hamilton does stay with them and signs another contract for another three years let's say so that's another that's f- what five years down the line what 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 are we looking at five years down the line what else is the, them to attain and then and then lewis who by the way won't go off and and do dakar like alonso's doing he'll just leave he'll stop i don't think yeah, he, he won't I think, drive I think, anything i think else. he has his eye on the potential of being a mercedes ambassador and tying in with all his fashionista stuff and his, his high net worth stuff um I've, from, and you're right from, because from, the longer he stays the harder it is for him to leave and establish himself with another manufacturer even if it's ferrari he'd go to ferrari you and i've talked about this before but the longer he stays with mercedes-benz the less time he's got to be good at another manufacturer it's that when well, we talked about mark marquez um you know declan and i were talking about this with mark marquez going to ktm um to prove to everybody who had a doubt about his talent, listen, I can do it. It's not just about the bike. It is about me. Mm. Lewis, I think, would go and do the same at Ferrari. But the, the window of that happening and getting Ferrari, and you know how long it takes to turn Ferrari around and, and get them to work, and, and the window for that is getting smaller and smaller for Lewis, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't go, if he doesn't go into this year, it's not going to happen because you know, de- if he signs again, he'll sign for two more years. That'll take him to being 37. You're not going to start your career at Ferrari at 37, um, especially when you've got Charles Leclerc established there for three, four years. So, you know, the, you know money talks, ambition talks, but it's, it's such a good fit for Lewis. You kind of think, why would he want to leave? Because, you know, do you, do you actually need to, to run for Ferrari? I mean, that's, that's the point. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's a really interesting point about how manufacturing move in and move out. And, and, and I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember where the next engine cycle is. I can't remember whether they've got, they've got another, this is going to 2025 or 2024 before they look at the engines again with the idea, I think of making them simpler, but who knows if you dehybridize. And of course that's going to move away from the zeitgeist of, of everything has to be hybrid and electric, which I personally think for FYM is a ridiculous idea, but Hey, what do I know? Is- you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Tim Greer is up in London. Uh, I'm John Hydoff. <laughs> I'm in our salubrious booth overlooking the Dubai Autodrome. And uh, Nick Dearman should be sitting in that chair there that I'm pointing at, which is not radio. two feet away from me. <laughs> it, it's working for me, though. Why is he not in that chair? Because he's in Istanbul, not Constantinople. And if you were with us at the top of the show, you'll know why. Hello to Brody who's not listening tonight. He's uh, busy at work 
uh, in this early part of the programme. Oh, we've got an exclusive coming up, by the way, for our uh, big interview as well with some news that uh, broke about an hour ago. We'll get to that. Some GT news that broke about an hour ago. We'll get to that in a little while. Uh, Brody's going to be listening to the podcast driving from Calais to Geneva on Friday, and he says, can I be the last to wish you all a happy new year? Oh, no, no, no. Tim, no, oh, Tim no, always no, has no, to no. be Weeks the last. happy new year to go. Yes. <laughs> Weeks. Absolutely. Where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, who's not leaving Formula One for a while? Jeez, uh, all sorts of people. I don't know. You're going to have a little more specific than that. It could be. It could be anybody. It could be the caterer for uh, Haas, for all I know. Did Gene Haas team boss? Moni again? Team boss. Uh, don't know. Christian Horner, Toto Wolff, Christian uh, Horner, Matteo Benetto. Let's uh, begin with a C. Begin with a C. Yeah. Claire Williams. Cyril Abitbul. Oh, yes. basically, Claire Williams and Sarah Beatable, both the ones who should leave, but let's keep going. Sarah Beatable says he's not going to leave uh, the Renault Formula 1 team until they start winning again. No, until he's pushed. No, until they start winning again is his uh, line. Really? Right. Does, does anybody else think he's, he's, he's definitely outlived his, his ability to be a decent team principal? And how he's ma- he must have the most Teflon-coated body in the world, because nothing seems to stick with him. He was singly unsuccessful developing the engine and even more unsuccessful running the team. So, lovely guy, but professionally, nah. I'm not just French, he said. I'm from southern France, and I'm extremely emotional. I take things seriously. I love racing, but I struggle to live with the fact we're losing every weekend, and that's a fact. Even though we're progressing, we're losing every single weekend. Number two well, is let the first of the, the losers. Well, give someone else the job who might be able to do it better than you. I need to learn to lose, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I want to win. And that appetite for winning is growing with these years of not winning. Well. Yeah, whatever. I've heard there's a very, very good um, French executive who's suddenly become free. He is stuck in Lebanon, but apart from that... Yes. Uh, but Video conferencing can achieve an awful lot now, Nick. Can't certainly it? can, as, as can fitting into a, a large musical case, apparently. Yes. Say hello, wave uh, it goodbye. Was a, it was a flight case. Very good. It was, uh, Very good. It, it was a flight case for um, sound equipment, actually. Double bass. No. Yes, it was. Flight case for sound equipment. It was a double bass. I've seen the picture as well. Mm. Now, let's have a picture off on the radio. We'll be talking more about uh, Carlos Ghosn when he um, uh, talks, <laughs> which he's promised to do, I think, next week. Mm. Uh, moving on. He should be saying something today. He might. I, I haven't checked yet to see if he's done it, but he should be saying something today. Really? It's kind of, he's, he's not going to be talking about the news cycle. He might put it off for a bit. Which Formula One well, driver fair point. Um, is bored with Instagram? Bored with Instagram? Yes. Uh, oh, right, okay. Um, I'm going to just pluck a name out of the sky, George Russell. It's Kevin Magnuson. I didn't know Kevin Magnuson was on Instagram. Kevin Magnuson uh, had a person who did Instagram for him. Right. Uh, up until Suzuka, when he decided that he was going to take it over himself and uh, started uh, doing his own Instagram. And... Mm-hmm. Fans immediately noticed a sudden change in style and tone uh, on his Instagram posts. It's slightly more confrontational. <laughs> um, 
And Kevin said, I took it over and started writing them myself, but I really think it's boring, so I've given it back again. I could see that the fans uh, sensed that it was suddenly me, so I'll try to stay a little involved, even though it's boring and takes lots of focus. But I don't want to have that app on my phone. Jeez, it's a tough life, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Which driver might be wishing that he didn't have that app on his phone? (laughs) Could be any of them. Um, I'm going to just... Uh, Lando Norris. He wants Lando, Lando Norris, Norris more is sensible. correct. He wants more yes. sensible, doesn't he? he wants yeah. more sensible this year. Uh, what did he put on Instagram yesterday? Uh, I shudder to think. Uh, he might have leaked the uh, livery for this year's McLaren. <laughs> he might have. Is it orange? <laughs> or is it orange by any chance? It is orange. I mean, what yeah. the picture is of an Indy car. Right. Um... But it is in an orange livery with McLaren Formula One sponsors on it. Uh, I, I'm sure that this specifically Clips, which is the portable audio partner and official headphone supplier to McLaren. So this worked out rather well now because they've got extra mentions. We talked about them, so I, I'm always very wary of these oh no i've leaked it by accident oh dear what naughty me yeah no you just got yourself seen some free publicity in a quiet week uh the interesting thing is that uh, the paint scheme is matte rather than gloss well it's got a name it's called matte <laughs> matte rather yes it's lighter isn't it uh yes apparently uh, you can save 200 grams on a formula one car by uh, not having shiny paint schemes but wouldn't you think it'd be draggier? Yeah, but maybe you want that. You can have, have a little we done this story before? We have done the paint yeah, because um, Ferrari went matte about two years ago. Yes. I like the Ferrari matte. Also, we spoke to somebody from Aero Paint on IMSA Radio who told us exactly what you had to do. And remember, Aero Paint, is, it, that's like a film rather than a wrap, but it acts like paint, and it's actually what they use on aeroplanes. Um, among and boats, amongst other things, and the science of it is actually really, really clever, really, really clever. Anyway, we've done that story. Yeah. Uh, so in the previous death. series. <laughs> Indeed, last series. Uh, Formula One news continues. Hey. With one more Formula One story. Stop Excellent. it. And this is uh, Jamie Chadwick. Yes. Who uh, was the... Uh, I was watching Jamie Chadwick going round and round here earlier. Yes, you were. Uh, in a uh, private test session for the Asian Formula 3 Championship, mm. uh, which is a yeah. single-seater championship that she's racing in. Um, having won uh, a single-seater championship this time last year when she uh, become, became champion of the MOF Winter Series. And uh, she then went on to win her class at the Nürburgring 24 Hours as well. She uh, obviously likes a bit of sun in the winter. We all, love, <laughs> we all love a bit of sun combined with a chance to uh, top up our uh, F1 super license points. Ah, uh, yes, because she's, she because she's got a, she, they're giving her a more expanded role at uh, Williams, aren't they? As they say they're going to let her drive the simulator more often. Uh, yes, uh, the twenty-one-year-old will increase her simulator program and continue to be fully immersed, both trackside and at Grove. She will attend yeah. several Grand Prix this year, as well as supporting the team in media and marketing activities. 
Yeah, so basically, she's still not the reserve driver. So if one of them falls over and breaks his leg, uh, it won't be them, it's her they'll be putting in the car, though, will it? Well, she doesn't have a super license. Well, points she can't because she hasn't got the super license points. Yes, yes. exactly. That, that exactly the point. Which, but which is if she, why if she wins why Asian Formula here. Three, she will. Now, How many do you get for Asian Formula points, Three? Isn't it? Yes, you fifteen 40? super license points. Yes, but she picked up uh, fifteen uh, last year for winning W Series. No, W Series was worth no points last year. They worth points this year. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. I see. Um, she has five from winning MRF. Uh, I'm delighted to confirm that Jamie Chadwick will continue her work in the Williams Racing Driver Academy, said Claire Williams. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching Jamie develop and excel both within the team and her time racing in W Series. Jamie's done an excellent job promoting women in motorsport and we're extremely proud of the work she's done. She's a good little driver. Should we hear what Jamie has to say? Yes. Yes, please. There we go. I think for me it was quite uh, inevitable to continue the relationship, obviously, off the back of this year, which has been successful for myself. I think the relationship with Williams was an incredible part of that. So I knew definitely it was something I wanted to continue. And then to be able to be given that opportunity uh, was just the icing on the cake at the end of the year. So I've been lucky enough to do quite a lot of work uh, on the simulator this year, a little bit of race support as well. So a lot of that's been teaching me uh, about what it's like to basically be driving a Formula One car, uh, which has been unbelievable, obviously, but also um, a little bit of technical feedback as well, uh, helping support set up evaluations and what they're doing at the track as well, which is exciting for me to be able to sort of learn that at this point in my career. Definitely think it's helping me personally develop. I think, um, yeah, obviously everything I'm doing outside of um, the Williams fold is benefited by what I do do here. I think these guys operate at such a high level for me to be able to learn what it takes to operate at that level and then take that with me in everything I'm doing in the junior formula is, yeah, really important. And from a personal point of view, it's helping a lot for sure. Jamie Chadwick there. A bit of Formula 2 news as well. I'm a, I'm Tim, we will hear more asked, from Jamie Chadwick uh, later in the yes. week when we actually yes, that's get her point. off the track and into the booth, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long walk, though, from the support paddock. You've got radio mics. You've got radio mics. It's fine. Uh, uh, sorry, Tim, news. I interrupted you. Right? Yes, Formula 2 News. Uh, they have uh, announced that they're going to retire the number 19, which was the number used by Antoine Hubert. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. Perfectly fine. It's, that's that's that. Uh, I actually, in in a sport like motor racing, where there is really any amount of numbers, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, and I do think it's it's something that other sports. I know that um, stick and ball sports in the states tend to do it as well, and and I think it's it's quite good. Um, we don't do it in soccer in the UK, but I think clubs should be allowed to do that, should they want to, because there are some shirts, shirt numbers. Um, my club, Sunderland, um, Ian Porterfield and Billy Hughes. Billy Hughes died recently, number uh, number eight, guy who crossed the ball to Ian Porterfield, number 10, who put it in when we won the FA Cup in 1973 for, for a whole generation and more of Sunderland supporters yeah that, that was before Johnny Palm was of. born of course it was and with due respect to Kevin Phillips who was a good number 10 and Brian Clough before that of course I suppose but anyway moving on I have no problem with that uh, now later so this nice month John 
you're going to be in Daytona. And then uh, you're going yes. to be in Australia immediately afterwards. Almost at identically the same time, and it would seem by my travel plans, yes. Uh, someone <coughs> else is doing that earlier than you. Really? Yes. Shane Van Gisbergen was at Daytona last weekend. Yep, and he's going to be at Talon Bend this weekend, driving a, a... He's driving a P2 car, isn't he? He is, in the Asian Le Mans series, which makes its uh, debut in Australia uh, this weekend. He replaces Nobuya Yamanaka, who's had to withdraw from the uh, Eurasian Motorsport Ligier. Uh, and he will be joined by uh, Nick Cassidy and Daniel Gaunt. Um, just a quick note about that, by the way. Which makes in one car. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick note about that. Our um, friend from, another friend from the Netherlands, Marco Baronsvard, uh, reminds me on a message to Atspectertainment that... Uh, on Sunday in the UK, uh, is it su- will it be Sunday or will it be Monday? Anyway, it's a half-hour time zone at Talon Bend. So the race start will be three th- uh, 2.30 a.m. CET because it's minus 10 and a half hours from Greenwich Main Time. So 3.30 a.m. That's, that's not complicated at all. But, yeah. Mm. Why is it half Tim? Hours? It's not ten enough. It's plus. Oh, there's not half minus. hour time zones in Australia, and also in Iran. Yep. Uh, sorry, it's pl- it is. Pl- sorry, yes, we are. Uh, the the UK GMT is ten and a half back. So when you're doing those calculations, there is a half hour there. It's very odd when you're listening to the radio driving through Australia if you do a long journey and somebody comes on and says. Right, it's uh, just after, you know, whatever hour it is. It's two minutes past ten, or nine thirty-two, or eleven or two, and you go, "What? Hang on, what?" But it's when they go to the half hours. But anyway, it's a half hour. So he's down there. Uh, that's SVG, who will be at the Lake Molly Bathurst twelve hours, as will Craig Lowndes Hang on, as I well. But I don't think that's. Yet. All right, go on, go ahead. Uh, Yamanaka said, obviously I'm really disappointed to not be driving myself this weekend, but I'm very excited that the Team New Zealand car can have three New Zealand drivers in my absence. New Zealand's a very important mm. place for me personally, and as well as my business. I'm proud to have these amazing Kiwi drivers in my car. Good. Shane Van Gisbergen, obviously, uh, was the winner of the first ever V8 supercar race at the Bend. Ah. Was he? Yes. Yeah. Shane Van Gisbergen and I have had a conversation over chat when he was watching the Neo one year. Oh, really? It's Narcia. Good last. Go. It is his um, uh, prototype debut, though. Yeah, he's, he's establishing himself um, pretty handily as a, an international GT and endurance racer. I think it's a really interesting move for him to jump into the prototype car. I think it's a smart move from him. He is an aggressive driver. He's going to love the downforce. He's going to love the commitment required. He's going to love that it's got no ABS 
he's going to pick it up and throw it at every corner and it's going to be spectacular with this with a capital SVG I, I'm, I'm, I think it's I think it's very good for him moving on uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, someone else who was at Daytona last weekend in the second hour of the show because uh, there's some exciting news from that person uh, but oh, okay. let's move on to oh, 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 by the way while we're talking about Australian news, we're going to have Craig. We're going to have Craig. We're going to have Richard um, Richard Creel, on the show next week to give us an update on the Bathurst 12 Hours. By then, all a lot more of the driver announcements, including which car Craig Lowndes will be in, because there's so much speculation about where Lowndes is going to go and which car it's going to be in. It's it's funny watching it unfold. Um, they'll I'm. I'm Pretty certain there's an announcement imminent uh, on that, but we'll get Krillzy to wrap all that up. How many up, different uh, next cars could you race in during that race, based on minimum maximum driving times? Don't know, don't know. And we've got we've got some more sports car news as well uh, coming up. In or shall we hour. leave that till next week when we've got Sheer? No, we'll do it in a second hour. Uh, all right, okay. We'll move on to Dakar now, which is not in Dakar. In fact, it's not that far away from you, not John. This year. No, it's not. Just, just across the border. Uh, in it's Saudi, Saudi it started Arabia. in Saudi Arabia, didn't it? Indeed. And uh, day three was yesterday, and mm-hmm. we had our third new leader at the end of yesterday, and that was Carlos Sainz, a man who's won the rally twice before. That's senior. Of course, yes. father of yes. the former squash champion uh, and rally driver. He finished stage three ahead of uh, Nasser Alatia. Who, he uh, made up some ridiculous amount of time, didn't he? He was five minutes plus down because he, ha- he had a bit of a mare on day one or two. I can't remember which it, which it was. And he's come back really well yes. and turned a five-minute deficit or five-minute loss of time at least. Lead. Yeah, and Nasser Alati has gone up into second now, hasn't he? Yes. Um, it was an interesting stage yesterday because the first half um, was all pretty much flat, and the second half was all in the mountains. Mm. It generally speaking, from what I've seen and heard, Ben Constantinos is out there, and I've been watching what he's been posting. But it seems like uh, the after you know quite controversial that that the whole event was going to go to Saudi Arabia. Anything going on in Saudi Arabia is is controversial at the moment. Um, they're using sport in a very interesting way, aren't they, with their, um, to, to sort of overcome their political issues cultural there. Cultural issues. Um, and cultural, yeah, and uh, human rights issues. Um, and... So it was, it's been quite controversial. However, that said, the event itself and the comp- competition itself, it appears the competitors have been, you know, pretty uh, fulsome in their praise so far. Early days, of course. Uh, Jakob Unpronounceable was third. Oh, good. I like him. Um, <laughs> and uh, You would Fernan- just make something up, Nick. Fernando Alonso yeah. was fifth. You, but he's, he, he lost, he lost about two Alon- hours doing his, doing his own work, didn't he? He was a quick fit fitter, wasn't he? Yes. Not so easy to uh, tell you who's leading in the bikes on the Dakar, though. Because uh, they had Why some issues that? with their GPS, Nick. 
Uh, they are lost. <laughs> all, all of them. Uh, so uh, they had to use the times after 389 kilometres of the uh, much longer stage. I think it was 400 and something. Uh, 427 kilometres. So yeah, uh, that was the last point at which they had reliable GPS readings from the whole field. Well, that's good. So, that, so, some, so somebody worked, anyway. Yeah, it means that uh, Ricky Brabeck, uh, who thought he had a 10-minute uh, lead, only had a 6-minute lead over his Honda teammate, Jose Ignacio Conejo, and Kevin Benavide. Uh, it also benefited uh, last year's bike winner, Toby Price, um, who was originally in 30, uh, 35 minutes off the pace uh, and uh, ended up finishing 8 minutes off the pace. I like this. Uh, this, is, this is a bit like when, you, when you, you're racing the GPS to get home and you, you, since it's going to take you 2 hours and you're trying to do it like an hour and 45. You try and gain on the GPS the whole time. Sounds like you just do it automatically with the Dakar. Yes. Another 9 days to go uh, in the Dakar. Uh, so we shall Excellent. see what happens with that. Delighted to say that joining us in our in our Erie, in the Eagle's Nest here, because we can see pretty much all of the circuit. This is one of the better spots for us to look at here at Dubai. René de Boer is uh, with us. René, first of all, thanks for joining us and welcome back to Dubai, a place that uh, you have been to many times in the past. How many of the 15 or 14 previous yeah. events here have you been to? Twelve. This is my 13th. I missed the first two because they clashed with uh, the Hanakam ski race, the downhill in Kitzbühel. I'm covering ski racing every now and then as well. So uh, that was still uh, when the race was uh, later in January and mm. now it's earlier on. So it's uh, perfectly easy to make it and a great pleasure to be back. And you are in a perfect position then to assess how this race has developed in the decade and a half since Toto Wolf was one of the winning drivers, <laughs> along with uh, with Hans Stuck, yeah. Dieter Cuesta, exactly in that uh, in that BMW, the Dillon yeah. Motorsport BMW, mm -hmm. way back in in the day. It, it's it's almost beyond recognition now, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it started as a, as a small club race, a local, more or less local event. Uh, I mean, organised by two uh, organised by two Ziva uh, brokers and Gary Willems, whom I've known for a long time because they live just across the border from I live about uh, 15 kilometers down the road and uh, I still remember in 2005 they came to me and they said yeah we're going to organize our own race in in Dubai and do you want to come and join us and I said okay well why not but by then because of the date it turned out I couldn't but I knew about their, their story and they were racing at, at Nürburgring uh, with a very small uh, small Seat car entered by themselves run by a family team and uh, and I thought that they were quite brave to uh, to go and organise a race in the United Arab Emirates, where none or not many of the Europeans had been no. at that time. They'd done a couple of uh, Barcelona 24s yeah. as well, exactly, hadn't they? Exactly. Yeah, and that's how it all started. And uh, they set up their own business. And uh, I still remember the, the the week before the first race uh, in 2006, the Sheikh died. Yes. And um, everybody was really didn't have a clue what was going on, and there was uh, national mourning and. All the, the events were, were cancelled and, and, uh, and obviously all the teams that had entered, they, all the ships, all, all the cars and all the equipment and everything was, uh, was on the way to Dubai. 
and uh, they said, okay, if the race is cancelled as well, it's obviously beyond our control, and uh, we will be absolutely broken. Because it was a national morning and no entertainment, nothing, nothing that was nothing at all, not that nothing that was uh, seen as entertainment. Yeah. But because I think because it was such a small event in those days, yeah, well, I'm not sure we'd get away with it now. Probably not. No, I, I think so. I mean, uh, they said it, it's a sporting event, and okay, we let it go ahead, and uh, but no music, no fancy things, mm -hmm. no festival, of nothing. And uh, no, that was, uh, was a bit of, a, of an eerie situation. Uh. The other thing is, we're here in, in Motor City in, in Dubai, which is about a half an hour drive from Festival City in the airport, the, the, the main airport here. The Sheikh Maktoum Airport is about another 30 kilometres uh, further down towards Abu Dhabi. Um, but what I notice, even in the times that we've been coming here, and we're getting, I think this is our ninth year here, um, this, even when we first started coming, this used to be in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely, yeah. And now when I drive this morning, <laughs> and, and when you know, Monday when I drove down the, the 311 to come mm. down to here, I thought I was on the wrong road, even since last year. Yeah. But, you know, from <laughs> six, seven years ago, this place is unrecognisable, that the city has come out to meet the racetrack. Yeah, there's a lot of developments been going on. The first time I came here was 2004 for the A1GP, and you still drove from the city to the circuit through the desert. It mm. was nothing. There was desert, there was sand, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there was a racetrack. And, and now when you see it, you don't leave the city anymore. So no. much development has been going on. A lot of new hotels, shopping malls, everything. It's Another great effort from Creventic to get this, which is their Blue Riband event, of course, together for this year, and a calendar for 2020 that shows a couple of returning events. But really, again, that just underlines how far Creventic and the Hancock 24-hour series have come in 15 years. Absolutely, no, it's, it's, it's a good development. I mean, it's still you see the, the trend towards bigger cars, uh, more GT3 cars, less of the. I mean. Back in the day, the, the first races, you had Renault Clios mm -hmm. and, and Minis and, and really, really small cars. Uh, you don't see these anymore. No. I mean, the smallest is a BMW T4, uh, 240, which still is, is quite powerful. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a trend. And sometimes it's a bit worrying. They say, OK, how professional do we want it to be? And do we allow it to be? Good because point. the focus is still very much on the amateur and club races. And that's, uh, that's what it always been like. And, and uh, it's really the aim of preventing to keep it that way. What I've seen as well, and, and I went to, to more of these events than I have done in a couple of years last season, um, but the tracks that, the, that these events take place at, here has been a constant. Some of the others have changed around. Last year I went to Mugello and Bruno, both tracks I'd never been to before. Mm. And for me, to go to a new place is quite unusual nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I enjoyed both of them. Very much it seems that Gary and Ivo Acroventic are listening to... Their paddock, the gentleman drivers who say, "Yeah, well, we haven't. I'd quite like to go and race." For example, this year off to Monza. Yeah. This year, and I, and and I can understand why gentleman drivers, in particular, that would be on my bucket list of places Absolutely. to drive. Yeah. No, sure. I mean, it's uh, they listen to to the people and what they want, and it's it's nice to go racing, but it's even better to go racing in a place that's nice, where you could take your family, maybe just for a weekend or whatever, and. Uh, I mean, you don't, without any insult or something, you don't take people to Croft or to Rockingham for a weekend no, off. No. I mean, and, and this is much better like Dubai, like Barcelona, like Mugello, like Monza, as you say. It's uh, yeah, nice, nice venues, iconic tracks and uh, nice, nice facilities.
Uh, it's a very exciting time for Dutch motorsport, for uh, everything that is orange and comes from the Netherlands. Um, we've been talking about Creventic for the last 15 years, particularly in the last few years with the arrival on the Formula One scene um, of a Dutch driver for people to, to get behind him, Max Verstappen. Uh, Dutch Grand Prix's back. Absolutely. Yeah. Zandvoort. Yeah. Work has been going on there. What Loads. do you know about that? Loads of work. I was there only two weeks ago, and it's, it's amazing to see how much is going on. I mean, it, it all obviously has to be ready by the end of February, which is the plan. And then the, the build-up will start, and uh, the race, the, the Formula One race, will be taking place on uh, the third of my, uh, the third of May. Uh, Which is not that far away. No, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, so I mean, there's not, there's no, it's not very, my, very likely to get any snow or ice or something at uh, that part of the country. So it uh, should be okay for for the winter time. But there's a lot, a lot of work going on. Uh. The question that I think most motorsport enthusiasts, particularly of a certain age, of which I am one, and I know Joe Bradley will be interested to hear this as well. We remember Sam Fort, the old Sam Fort. Yeah. We've been to Sam Fort with Creventic and, mm. and, and seen it and that was great that was another big tick for me I'm very interested to know is the character of the circuit going to be preserved very much so it was always the, the aim I mean there's not, a, there's not many things they can change to the track anyway because it's uh, part of a um, protected environment in the dunes in the north seat coast uh, so they had only limited possibilities and say, okay, within the frame we are allowed to do, uh, what can we do? So they discussed with track designers and there's um, uh, an agency from, from Italy who are specialized in, in building tracks, it's uh, Dromo, and they came up with a plan, uh, why don't we make banked corners? So they have a banking on the final corner going onto the main straight and it will be 18 degrees, which is steeper, for instance, than Indianapolis. It's twice mm. as steep. It's, it's, I've, I've seen it, it's incredible. It's, Really high, and, uh, and then well, also, there was always yeah. a little bit of banking was, in recent yeah, years yeah, 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 on, yeah. on the first corner at Tarzan, but wasn't it's there? Now much, much more, and uh, allowing for much higher speeds on, on the main straight, and obviously to to improve uh, overtaking and the use of DRS at the end of the main straight. Cu- couple of questions yeah. from my point of view: What are they going to do with the pits? Because the pits, and particularly behind the pits, the paddock itself in the position they are at the moment. That's very tight indeed. That has been extended. Uh, and also the pit building, um, at the back of the pit there is an extension, so the pits will be much, much wider and uh, yeah, for, for teams to use. Uh, there's a lot of uh, talking uh, going on with uh, Formula 1 management and also all the teams are involved, and uh, every, so that, that should be okay. But there's no uh, way to, to locate all the, the hospitalities and everything that will be in uh, Paddock 2, as they mm. call it which is a little bit further down, but uh, no, it, it, that, that will be okay as well. And the rest of the track, clearly there had to be some changes because there was a hairpin, pretty much, that backed on. In fact, there was a single track road yeah. to get you into the main paddock where when there's cars on the track, they, put, they close gates at either end because it's too dangerous for anybody to go through there. So there must have been changes there too. That will be a banked corner as well. It's turn three, the Huguenots wow. corner, yeah. named after John Huguenots, yeah. the former director of the circuit. It's not a designer. As it's, it's been widely believed, but mm. he, he hasn't designed. He has designed many other great tracks like Suzuka and Zolder. He didn't design Zandvoort, but he was the managing director. 
but they made that corner banked as well. And there's some more paddock space there. It's, it's not a lot. I mean, it's, it's only so much you can do. And they wanted to, to keep the, the character of the circuit. I thought for sure yeah. they would have to cut that out. So I'm yeah. very no, happy to hear yeah, that it's still that's there. All there. And that's all there. I expected a sort of a cutout yeah. further up the Thankfully, track. Thankfully, it's still there. Oh, that's it's great news. Looking spectacular. It's, it's banked as well. It's, it's very, very nice. So, yeah. Now, finally, how are they going to get everybody in and out? Because they could have sold the tickets 10 times over. Yeah, it's incredible. They, they had a lottery. Uh, you could sign up and internally they said okay if we have maybe like 500,000 requests for uh, to sign up not not to buy tickets but at least to be eligible to to buy a ticket uh, then we would be very happy and i think they ended up with 1.1 million uh, so it was it was crazy and they have a maximum of one uh, 105,000 spectators they can accommodate per day so friday saturday sunday but you can't park cars for 105,000 no. people there right there so how you are people going to get can't in can't park any cars period so it's <laughs> they have a traffic plan uh, with trains uh, you have a train capacity you can uh, bring 20,000 people per hour in and out so that's uh, and there was talk of them extending the yeah. platform because yes. there is a railway yeah. station there is. very very close five minutes walks perfect so it's, it's the, the, the probably the closest railway station to a circuit I've ever been to uh, they're extending the platform, they increase the capacity, uh, a lot of talks going on with the railway company and everything, so that, that will be sorted. Uh, there are big parking areas uh, at the end of the motorway at Harlem, there will be buses back and forth. Uh, right. So a park and ride. Bikes will play a very major role, uh, they will have rental bikes available. And, is, and isn't there a, um, a coastal yeah. path yeah. 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 that yeah. could be there used? Is. There is. And are they going to do that, particularly yeah. for bikes? That would be great. Yeah. There is a plan, uh, 10,000 bikes per hour that can pass there, so it's, it's, <laughs> I've seen all the plans, it's, it's, it's quite impressive. But people will have to travel to it, particularly if they're not local, because there's not really hotel capacity nearby. Well, there is, but it's obviously all occupied, and everybody who has any space available, whatever it is, it can be a shed, it can be whatever, spare bedroom. They're, well, there's a caravan site for, next door, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, but that's sold out. It's, <laughs> everything is sold out. Uh, no bed to be had within the whole area, I think, yeah, for the weekend. But Well, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear. I hope, I mean, the simulations I've seen look spectacular. I hope it races as well. I think qualifying will be very spectacular. I'll be interested to see if, they, if there is passing yeah. there. But it's really big news, this, for, for uh, motorsport in the Netherlands. And with Max signing an extension to his contract as well, yeah. it's, I mean, it's top story national news, isn't it? It is, absolutely, yeah. It's like Michael Schumacher in Germany in, in the best of his days and like, like uh, Menzel or uh, the, uh, the great days in the UK. And it's something, obviously, it's sometimes people don't understand foreign, foreigners, non-Dutch people. And they say, yeah, why is there so much fuzz about it and why is everybody talking about it? It's the very first Dutch driver ever in contention to, for podium finishes or race wins or maybe even a championship. And that's why it's, it's so big. And has that then moved motorsport and in particular Formula One much more into the public consciousness, the general public absolutely. consciousness rather absolutely. than just the cognoscente yeah. yeah, no, absolutely all the daily newspapers, the five of them, they send uh, reporters to every Grand Prix, wow. you have radio coverage, you have TV coverage, everything, it's, it's incredible and it's, it's nothing been there like ever before. And, and you're going to course, why couldn't this happen 20 years ago when you were getting started? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm more into endurance racing and, and club racing and touring cars and Formula 3 and everything. It's my, my, that's okay, it's my business, it's my little 
sliver. Let, let's finish with you talking, uh, and it's Rennie de Burr here on Midweek Motorsport, first of a, uh, of a new series here, Series 15, can you believe that? Episode 1 from Dubai here, Midday Motorsport in the UK. Um, let's talk about DTM. Yeah. DTM going through transition uh, into the new formula now with the, the new engines, the brave new era. Gerhard Berg has done a pretty good job, actually, Absolutely. in pulling yeah. things together. Mm-hmm. Um, Aston Martin sort of in as a brand, certainly an Aston uh, Martin shaped car mm-hmm. in there. But all is not happy at Aston Martin and with that, with that team, particularly with their engine suppliers. Yeah, exactly. They've um, Last year, uh, HWA, the company that formerly developed and, and run the Mercedes uh, works team in the DTM, uh, they've developed the, the Aston Martins for our motorsport. Uh, but they've terminated the contract at the end of uh, last year. And um, But our motorsport are adamant they will be on the grid for this year. They will have a new partner to build the cars, to run the cars. And uh, yeah, they say they will be fine. So no announcement yet, but um, I'm pretty confident. It, it looks good. Uh, and uh, it's great to have a brand like Aston Martin racing at ETM, obviously. They haven't... So Aston have sort of been a bit lukewarm about it. They've licensed the shape yeah. of the car, but it's... They're not really saying it's Aston Martin racing. They're not really getting no. behind it and, and having huge hospitality and, and road cars and stuff like that there. No, but... Uh, because that is the essence of DTM. I've been to DTM yeah. and it's, 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 <laughs> it's extraordinary. It is, it is. No, the level of marketing and promotion and involvement by, by the manufacturers is, is huge. Um, Aston Martin, their works program obviously is in, in WEC and, and GT racing. That's their core business and understandably, but... Andy Palmer has been to two DTM rounds. He was at the opening round at Hockenheim. He was at Nürburgring all weekend. And uh, we, we spoke at length at Nürburgring. We had a very pleasant dinner on, on Thursday. And, and we spoke until well into the night, all racing stories. And he loves DTM. I mean, yes, he's, you, you've known him for a long time. He's a racer at heart. He loves DTM. He likes the series, the, the action. And obviously, he likes to have the brand there. And if there's a company like Armo Sport who've been... Uh, instrumental in the development and the running of the Valkyrie, the, the, the hypercar. Uh, they sell a lot of Aston Martins in, in Switzerland, where there's obviously good potential of uh, very well-to-do clients and potential clients. Uh, so it's it's important for for them from from a business perspective as well. What about the other manufacturers? Um, Audi uh, haven't announced their drivers yet, but they've uh, indicated more than once that uh, there won't be too many changes. So I see all and the six still, work And drivers. still committed to DTM yes. when they've been let's be honest, lukewarm at best at some of their other programmes, including some of the customer programmes, winding up, not building any more um, R3 TCR, RS3 TCR cars, still supporting the GT2, GT3, GT4 customers, but that's all customer racing. That's customer racing. Um, I mean, it's some internal politics that have been going on within the Volkswagen group with uh, three brands involved in TCR, with Volkswagen, Seat or Cupra and, and Audi. So that's some internal politics. And no, that's going to just be Cupra from now on. Yeah. VW yeah. and Audi, they were all on the same platform. And, exactly. and I believe yeah. they were all built by Seat Sport, yeah. but by yeah. Cupra. Yeah. Um, all of the different shapes exactly. are on the same platform. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to just be one. Yes, that is. And uh, now Audi is still very much committed to DTM, which is their works program. And they said, OK, it's uh, the, the way we, uh, we're behind it. It's very important for the dealers to be able to invite their customers yes. to race events, especially in Germany. Yes. But also importers like uh, in Italy or in the UK mm. or in the Netherlands. And uh, the activation is good there. So. Similar story with BMW yeah. a, to a certain uh, respect. You know, they've got out of their WEC program, although still racing in IMSA with the... 
GT Le Mans, GTE yeah. e cars, um, but they're still in DTM yeah. as well. Yeah. And, it, and it, that, I mean, it's an expensive series to be in. I'll come on to that in a moment. But in, if you haven't been to one in Germany, you've not seen what it, a, a big national series can be like. Because it doesn't look like a national series. No, it looks it like a no. world championship. It does, absolutely, yeah. So like, it's still important for BMW. Yeah, very much so as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're only, let's say, let's still call it national, although it's for BMW, one of the reasons why they came back after 25 years in uh, 2012 uh, was the perspective of an internationalization, to, uh, with the collaboration with the Japanese on the Super GT. They have a common set of regulations between DTM and Super GT. Um, so that's also one of the, one of the, the key items. Uh. And that's a perfect segue into what I was going to talk about next. Class 1 yeah. touring cars mm -hmm. is, is what people talk about. I saw the first demo when some of the Japanese cars came at over Hockenheim, yeah. at Hockenheim. Yeah. And I, I was blown away. That was the first time I'd seen them. They were spitting flames yeah. a metre and a half long. Mm. I knew they turned <laughs> everything up and it was noisy. It was fantastic. It was everything to as a motorsport enthusiast. We're edging towards that. The momentum is beginning to build. It's not quick enough for some people, but this is not going to happen overnight, is what I think, Rene. And, and, and I'd be interested on your take on this. There's going to be at least a couple of races where they combine. Are we moving towards something that could look a bit more international, a bit more global? I think so. Um, there will still be a national series in Japan. Uh, there will still be a national series in Germany, but with rounds uh, this year in Russia, in the UK, in the Netherlands, in, in Italy. So it's it's in the UK, fairly international. Uh, and, and Belgium, not to, not to forget, the opening round is older, which is a continuation of a very long tradition in the 1980s and 90s. So it's nice to see them back. Um, but I think uh, the plan is uh, there was a very successful trial event at Fuji in November. It was fantastic to have uh, seven DTM cars and the full field of GT500 cars from Japanese GTs. That was perfect. Um, and I think the plan is, I mean, they're still discussing how to do it and where to do it. But the plan is to have, to have at least one of races like this uh, every year, if not two. So maybe one in Europe, one in Japan or uh, yeah, alternating. Um. What happened to the idea that it might be introduced into the States as well? Because IMSA were involved in that. Yeah. And, and I think they still are nominally the sanctioning body, should it, it go yeah. over there in, in terms of looking after the sporting regulations. That's gone quiet. It's been quiet for a while. Um, there were some, they were part of the initial plans, which were, I think, negotiations started in 2012 or something. Um, there were people from INSA at, at Bennett and Scott Atherton were there when the first presentation of the proposed Class 1 plan in, in 2013 at Norris Ring. Uh, then it's gone quiet a bit, but um, I think in recent, let's say, the last six months or something, there's a lot of, lot of development. There were people from NASCAR and IMSA uh, at the DTM round at Nürburgring. They combined it with a visit to the Frankfurt Motor Show, so yeah. they were in Germany anyway, but uh, they were very interested. And uh, on a technical level, um, there is some, some yeah, dealing going on. I mean, nobody knows what, what the future of GTE, for instance, will be. So uh, IMSA is keeping all their options open. And I think there's some interest there as well. Yeah, yeah It's an interesting time for GTE. We've yeah. got the uh, GT because we've got the new FIA GT3 regulations coming out effectively 
that's 2022, yeah. isn't it? And the ACO have been involved in that. They were writing their own GT3 regs as well. But now it's all coming under the FIA. And what that means for GTE, GT Le Mans and that, we really don't know yet. It's really, really interesting time. Let's drag ourselves back to the here and now and where we are at the moment, Rene, before I let you go. Uh, and this weekend, cracking uh, entry of, of GT3 cars. We expect to see one of the GT3 cars win here from the top category. A little bit of change in nomenclature as far as Kreventic is going to make things a little bit more standardised in the international thing. So we are talking about GT3 yeah. and, and not SP this and and all of that sort of thing. And I think that's quite sensible. Yeah. I think that brings that into line. If I had to pin you down now and say on Saturday afternoon when you're standing getting ready to do the podium <laughs> ceremonies, who, who do you think you're going to be welcoming onto the, onto the overall top three? Who, who would be your best guess before a mm. wheel's turned? Very difficult. Um, let's say Black Falcon. They're always good, aren't they? Yeah, they're always good. They've won four times over here at Ride. Um, they have a lot of lot of local knowledge, uh, a lot of prestige involved. The 10th anniversary of the Mercedes customer racing program, uh, the new GT3 Evo. Um, yeah, they put they know how to win and they put a good program together, don't yeah. they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. René, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Um, it's a, an absolute joy to speak to you at, at any time. Uh, Eve and I were just uh, musing uh, about um, bumping into you in a hotel bar after the WRT yeah, exactly. launch. Exactly, last year. Last nice. year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very unexpected yeah. and a couple of hours well spent. Oh, yes. René de Berth, thank you very much indeed. Have My a great pleasure. weekend. Great having you here. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. And in the second hour of tonight's programme, we'll have more from Istanbul, not Constantinople, where Nick Damon is waiting for the rest of his travel uh, to here at the Dubai Autodrome, where we'll have full coverage across the weekend of the 15th running of the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai. Uh, we've got some sports car news to come, we'll have a bit of two wheeled news. As well, looking forward to having a chat with Nick about the machinations of what's going on on two wheels uh, at Specutainment if you'd like to get in touch with us. But coming up next, we have a big interview with someone who's just been confirmed as an Aston Martin driver. That's next on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. For our first big interview of 2020, delighted to welcome to the show Richard Westbrook. Richard, congratulations on being confirmed as an Aston Martin driver. Yeah, thank you very much, John. Happy New Year to you and uh, to all your guests and to Tim there. Um, yeah, really delighted to um, announce that I'm driving for Aston at Le Mans. Um, you know, I've had four great years at Ford. Um, obviously, that came to the came to an end this year. Um, when you realise it is coming to the end, the first thing as a driver, you <laughs> think, right, I need to get in a winning machine for Le Mans. And um, I, I'm, I really think it's a good time to be joining Aston. Uh, it'll be their third year running the new Vantage at Le Mans. Um, and they seem to have got all the gremlins out of the way. It's very, very competitive, as we've seen with the 95 and the 97 um, during the season in the WEC. So, yeah, I think I'm the luckiest person 
out there right now. It's uh, to join Aston Martin as a Brit at this time is just is perfect. It's at the moment it's a it's a one race deal. I'm led to believe. Um, first of all, when are you going to get in the car, and how easy or difficult do you think it'll be for you to integrate as that? you know, difficult third driver, the plug and play man as it has to be, into a brand new team. Yeah, that's uh it's a good point, the third driver role. It is a very difficult role. Um but you can make it difficult for yourself or you can make it easy for yourself. Um I was a third driver at Corvette Racing and to be honest, the first year I did find it tough. I mean you were never given new tires, you were given old brakes, you know, the the standing joke as the third driver. Um but you've just got to bite your lip and get on with it and drive the thing. Um, I had four years as, with, with Scott Dixon as the third driver at Chip Ganassi, and um, he just was mentally perfect for it. So I learned a lot from Scott how to deal with that third driver role, and um, it is a mental thing. You have to get your head around it, and um, yeah, like I said, just get on, learn as quick as you can, and uh, get the job done. Um, you know, it's a category that I know extremely well. It's a track that I know extremely well. And it's a tyre that I know extremely well. So mm. it's really just a case of getting used to the car. Um, I actually drove the GT3 version a couple of weeks ago. And it's not too dissimilar to the GTE car. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar chassis, obviously. But there's a lot of different variables on the car being a different category. But... Yeah, essentially it's the same car, and it, I had a really good feeling, really positive. The aero is really strong on it, um, mm -hmm. and the engine delivery was really good as well. In in terms of how you prepare now, then, Rich, um, you know, what will you be doing? Is there an opportunity? Clearly, you'll have to have some testing uh, in the car. Is there po potentially the opportunity to to get in in a competitive environment somewhere else? Well, the plan is definitely not just to be doing one race in 2020. Um, I think that's what you're trying to ask me. Um, it is. Absolutely not. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest, it's been a difficult winter because, you know, you know how much I love racing in America. Um, and unfortunately, the, you know, it became apparent quite late in the day um, that we weren't going to be running for Chip Ganassi anymore. Um, you know, obviously he was not unable to continue running the fours that happened quite late. And, you know, as we know, the IMSA grid is just getting smaller and smaller and there were just no drives available, um, from when we knew we were on the market. Um, you know, and I think it's obviously from my point of view, it's a real shame that I'm not in America, but I see it as just a sabbatical, um, I'll be back there in 2021 for sure. I'm not sure who with, but you know, the immediate concern is, is, or the media project is to get something full-time in 2020 um, to go alongside my um, Aston Martin drive at Le Mans. It, it doesn't help, does it, that the t two of the biggest championships being IMSA and the FIA WEC have completely different calendars now with the, the WEC having this football season or the school year type calendar that starts in September and runs through to June, whereas IMSA and most of the other major championships outside of the Asian Le Mans series, certainly, they all run in within a calendar year. That must cause some difficulty as well for someone who found themselves unexpectedly on the driver market. Yeah, because when I realised I was on the market, the, the WEC season had already started. So, yes. Yeah, so that does not help at all. Um, 
I mean, you know, you can't on the table. You know, when we were going into Long Beach last year, we, we were sure we were going to DPI in a Ford. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that, that was the plan. Um, and then that stopped, and then there was a, a chance of keeping the Ford GT going, and that obviously fell by the wayside. So, you know, and when that did fall by the wayside, like I said, the wet season has started, so there's no opportunity there. Um, but, you know, focusing on the good stuff, I've got, you know, this Aston Martin drive for Le Mans, which is the number one priority to get a competitive drive in a factory car at Le Mans. Uh, and I managed to secure that, which I'm really, really happy about. Now, the next priority is to, you know, have a championship, whether it's in Europe, in Asia or somewhere else, God knows where. Um, that's what I'm working on now. And hopefully I'll have some good news on that in the next couple of weeks. Um, people may have forgotten this about you, but you've done a bit of prototype racing in your, in your time. So I'm, I'm and you were pretty darn good at it as well nearly said something i shouldn't have there um yeah. I, I, I take it you would consider uh, that as well particularly for men getting back into um in the imsa competition yeah i mean the focus when the, when the ford uh, thing ended the focus was to get into a, a dpi uh, and i was very close to a, a deal in october unfortunately that fell through um, and I was pretty sure that was going to happen because, and that would have been in a way going back home. But you know, when I came back to GT racing, that was definitely coming back home. But yeah, I did have four, five years in prototypes in America, and you know, I'll, I'll always regard that 2015 season when we, you know, with Spirit of Daytona racing, underfunded team against the big boys, we went into the last round with a with a five point lead uh, in the championship going into Petit Le Mans, and yeah, we didn't quite pull it off, but you know, what we achieved that year. No one else has ever come close against the big boys. So really, really proud of that. And it would be it would be great to go back to prototypes. Uh, let's take you back to the good news, as you've rightly said, getting involved with Aston Martin Racing, uh, another works, another factory team uh, to tick off and put that yeah, on your I've had quite resume. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that means you get a nice new race suit uh, as well. Um, as a Brit, as a Brit driving for a British team and such a, a team as Aston Martin, such a brand as Aston Martin, is there a is there a little extra free son of excitement for that, Rich? Yes, there is. Um, you know, it's, especially Aston Martin. It's you know, it's worldwide. It's uh, it's everyone's you know favourite brand. But you know, for a Brit, you know, it makes me feel very very proud. Even though I'm going to be on the uh, the 95, the Danish car, <laughs> so I'm putting a bit of British in the in the Danish bacon sandwich there. Um, so <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's something that I feel really proud about. I mean, Aston have got a, a long, long history at Le Mans. Um, never since I've been doing Le Mans in in 2009, I think my first year was. They've just been always whatever class they've been doing in gts just at the front at the front mm. um very very competitive i mean we've just seen that great film about ford versus ferrari i mean one day someone will write a film about corvette versus aston martin absolutely uh, the, ding, the ding-dongs they've had over the last 15 years it was it you know especially in gt1s it was legendary and um obviously i've raced against aston a lot in the gt1 world championship um, when I was in a Matic Ford and then and then the Nissan program. And uh, I always remember them just being, you know, very, very clinical in the way they went about their work. 
and um, getting the job done and uh, executing very well. So, yeah, really happy to be joining them. Talking about those GT1 days, we look back at them, uh, at those cars now and those days, and yeah. you know, with, with starry eyes in some respects. But I've got to say, um, you've driven the latest version of GTE in that Ford. You're about to get your backside into the new Aston as well. My goodness me, these new machines, I mean, they're lapping as quick, if not quicker, as what we thought were the ultimate yeah, iteration honestly, of GT cars. Yeah, but we're completely underpowered. I mean, they should give us 200 horsepower more and make the cars <laughs> lighter and uh, put a bigger wing on it and um, go to carbon brakes, which would be very, very simple. And you see the lap times just get crazy. Um, and it's, you know, more than achievable. I really don't understand why we don't do it because if the original gt1 class was still still out there the way it would have evolved lap time wise that would be the top class now um yes. so it's a real shame that we don't have that because i think one day everyone would love you know for a gt to be um running at the front of the grid like like it was in the, the mid 90s yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I well remember that GT1 at Porsche winning in, in 98, which it wasn't meant to do. There were still open-top prototypes, uh, but they all yeah. fell by the wayside that year, and, and the Porsche came through to win, and that spawned some extraordinary vehicles from Porsche and from some of the other German manufacturers uh, as well. Uh, talking about that, Rich, what's your thinking then on, on Hypercar? We know that it's coming. Um, Aston, of course, one of the manufacturers who have committed very early to it and you know their uh, their hypercar design uh, which will also be a road car looks very exciting uh, other yeah. manufacturers still to come what's your as a pro racing driver what's your thought on that then i think it's i, I think it's really good as long as they get the numbers um and i think you know as long as you know imsa can take these cars and vice versa because you know you want to go to the days when someone from Europe can do the wet season or yeah. whatever it's going to be called and, and then race that car at Daytona in the winter um, and vice versa, someone doing IMSA to go and take his car to Le Mans and be able to run it. So I think that's the most important thing, whatever you say, whether it should be DPI or hypercar, I, I don't think that's the important thing. It's just there just needs to be a global platform uh, so mm. everyone can play in everyone's back garden. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, DPI 2.0, as we keep calling it, um, already well beyond planning stage. We're expecting a set of regulations probably in the first quarter uh, of this year, although that formula won't start for a, a, a year or so, a little bit more than that. Um, and clearly you were very close to Chip Ganassi and, and Ford's plans for that. Yeah. Was it your understanding that they were going to enter... DPI as it stood and then transitioned to 2.0 or were you guys effectively in a holding pattern until they confirmed the DPI 2.0 with the hybrid? Um, well, there was quite a few questions in there, I think. <laughs> so I know what you're trying to ask me. It's uh, are they going to do DPI 2.0? And I think you're going to have to ask Mark Rush for it, that. And I think, you know, they, they, the appetite is there, definitely. Um, but you've got to think, they they want to run the car globally. Um, yeah. They don't want to invest all that money, and I'm sure Mark won't mind me saying this, to invest all that money just to be restricted to racing in IMSA. Um, they want to run the car in Le Mans. 
um, you know, Ford has got a big history in Le Mans. If they invest in this car but can't can't run it at Le Mans, it's it's kind of a waste of money, really. Um, it's so it it's needs a, to have that global platform. So let let's see what happens. But you know, obviously, it would be great for everyone if Ford came back in 2022. Um, and I would say, you know, my personal feeling, there's a very good chance. You've seen those deep, the current DPIs up close. Obviously, you've been on track uh, with them. And, uh, and as you mentioned, you've been talking to um, a couple of teams trying to get a ride for, for the coming season in, in 2020, Rich. And I mean, that formula that IMSA have hit upon in terms of value for money um, is, is outstanding for a manufacturer or for a private team. And, and the worry is that spending possibly five to ten times more to go to Le Mans and do WEC is just something that is not sustainable. We've seen a reasonable take-up of DPI by manufacturers in the States with, with private teams running the cars. Have they hit on the right formula there in terms of how much people are spending? Yeah, but I think, you know, they need to... I think if you speak to any team owner in America, they would argue that DPI is getting too expensive as well. Um, I mean, I think, you know, motorsport is just becoming so expensive, even even with BOP, that where you can rely on BOP, that if you don't necessarily build the most competitive car in the world, BOP is going to help you out. So that, you know, that limits how much development you really need to do on the car. So even having BOP, it's just getting it's getting astronomical for, for manufacturers. You know, manufacturers, obviously, it's a very difficult time for them because um, there's that transition of is everyone going to go to electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult for manufacturers to justify spending millions and millions of pounds in, in racing. And I've seen that firsthand. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that John Doonan's going to have to address straight away is, is to get to get the numbers back in IMSA. Um, in 2008, 2007, my first Daytona, there was 80 cars um, trying to qualify for 71 or 72 grid slots. And now there's, mm-hmm. there's 35 or something. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's considerable, the difference. So I think that's, you know, John's definitely come in at a hard time and he's going he's gonna to have to address that. Um, no, because it's, it's it's you know it's incredible like you know obviously there's my situation but obviously it's you know i think it's going to be good it's just just not going to be based in america in 2020 it's mm-hmm. going to be more european based but someone someone like joey hand who for me is mr alms mr imsa i mean he hasn't got a drive in america he's from yeah. california it's just unbelievable i just can't get my head around that Let's finish off with with you uh, and obviously this cracking news uh, of the third driver in the 95, the Dane Train at uh, Le Mans. Harry Tinknell is going to be the other uh, third uh, driver in the uh, the pro cars. Um, obviously, you and he have uh, raced on the same tracks together. That's two solid, solid choices there. What else are you going to do, though, Rich? You said, you know, um, it's not going to be a one-off as far as you're concerned in racing, does that mean you would look to GT3? Might we see you in in VLN at the Nurburgring? Where where are you looking, and where do you think the opportunities are in this in this difficult time? Well, I'm sort of close on a few things, and so I don't want to let the cat out of the bat, bag just yet. But you you will be the first to know. So don't worry, John. Uh, but yeah, there is the opportunity to go back to 
because uh, obviously Ford didn't want me to do Nurburg last year because it was one week after Le Mans and then you go to Watkins Glen back to back with Mossport. So they Good. said no to going to Nurburg last year. So, you know, and I love doing the Nurburgring. I've done it like 10 times. So I, there's definitely the chance to go back there this year. And also Spa. Um, I haven't done Spa 24 hours for like four or five years now because it's always clashed with Lime Rock uh, or Road America, I think. So, um really excited that you know i've got that opportunity to go back there i've just got to piece everything together and 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 you know hopefully confirm a really good program in the next few weeks to you i I love the fact that you're looking at this as a positive rich uh we wish you all the best and i'll remind anybody who's listening he's that uh, Richard Westbrook can save fuel with his pink fluffy slippers on when he needs to but my goodness he's got a nice fast leaden right foot when he needs to go quickly as well rich i hope you get sorted for a bit more thanks for coming on the show and letting us know what's going on so soon after the uh, announcement and um i, will, I hope mate. you get sorted because because i really enjoy sitting after races having a chat with you in airline lounges it's it's never time wasted mate so good luck and hopefully hey, we'll, I'll, we'll I'll see be, you across i'll, be, the I'll be out there a lot this year don't you worry um so i'll, I'll be out there so you won't keep me down all good news mate thanks for coming on Cheers, John. Thanks. Good to talk to you, mate. All the best. Now, what we were going to do uh, next was uh, the third first round game of uh, Play Your Cards Right. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Because uh, Nick Damon and Johnny Palmer were going to be the contestants. Unfortunately, Johnny Palmer uh, not with us at all, and Nick Damon in Istanbul. So we'll have to delay that well, until Johnny... the future show. I... I presume Johnny Palmer's in Istanbul as well, or we're right up the Swanee for the weekend. Well, they were on the same plane, so hopefully. <laughs> ha- have you Did seen... Johnny make it to the bus? Nick? I'm sorry? I was, I was looking... I, I, you were talking about Johnny. You are looking out the window. Have you seen Johnny Palmer in Istanbul? Yes, we have, we have our breakfast together. Excellent. Oh, good. Excellent stuff. So instead, shall we do a bit of two wheels news? We're going to move on to two wheels now because uh, uh, you uh, were talking to uh, a uh, MotoGP big man the other day. Uh, to this morning, on the way to the booth. Yeah. There's actually, we could, we could do, we'll be able to do, Nick, once you get here, you'll be able to do some insightful two-wheeled themed interviews because Mick Doohan's here supporting his son who's in the F3, uh, Jack, and uh, Davide Brivio is here. And you know who he is, don't you? Yes, I do. Mainly because you, I, I, I recognise the name, couldn't put it... And I'll be honest with you, you actually tell me. I thought, yeah, 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 who is he, is he a team manager of some of the teams? But yes, he's a team manager for Suzuki. Went, oh, yeah. yeah, Suzuki team manager. And he said to me, he said, I'd like one, but it's not essential. What was he talking about? Uh, one of the Marquez brothers. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd, I'd like both of them. Is in fact, no, I'd like no, one, not the other. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, Does he want the one who's getting bored or the one who's going to be rookie of the year? Mm. Well, I, don't, I don't know if he's getting bored. Um, we'll, I, well, we'll be hearing Mark from Marquez. Uh, Alex Marquez a little bit later on. Oh, good, right. oh, yeah. excellent. It, it wasn't a bad. It wasn't a bad. Yeah, for. Suzuki's. I was I was saying to Davide uh, earlier uh, earlier on, and I think it was a bit shocked actually that I knew anything about um, anything other than cars. It was Max Papas who introduced us, 
and he, we were talk, obviously we were talking about endurance racing and uh, once I realised who I was talking to we started talking about bikes a bit and they got a couple of wins last year with Alex Rins and that's the first time in nearly two decades that they've had two wins in a year um, but what we started talking about what he would like but he doesn't think it's essential uh, is a satellite team yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the satellite team situation within uh, MotoGP is quite strange, isn't it, really? Because some of them really just use it as a repository for old bikes and a bit of PR in exchange for cash. And others really do use it as a breeding ground or for young talent or as a safety net if things go wrong with the main teams. We've got LCR Honda very much with that sort of safety net. And, of course, we've seen with the Petronas Yamaha team with Javier Cotterado uh, that he has effectively Great promoted case. jury... During, hang on, I went for that one. Uh, he'd been promoted during the season into an absolute full-on works bike level with um, Vinales and Rossi. So, you know, and certainly I think when KTM had their, their satellite team for the first time, they've, they've needed it because they wanted more bikes on the road. So it's surprising that as a, 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 as a beginning team, they've only been in six, seven years, but they just think this is their first year as not being a claiming team, actually. They've not had that extra development, or yeah, which, which you get from having two more bikes on the road. There's, there's, two, there's two ways to look at it. And, and this is what we were talking about this morning. Uh, and, I mean, it's been well documented that they've, they've talked about it for some time. But, on obviously, on the plus side, you get more data. And if you've got uh, a couple of sessions that are not quite dry or not quite wet, you can, you can get more data. No doubt about that. Um, and that means you can speed up your development. And as he said, you know, you'll tend to find problems quicker. But what he said, which I thought was quite interesting, is it can be a bit of a distraction. It, 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 Suzuki only have the factory team to look after, and therefore they are very focused. And, and I, I, I can see, I, I can see what he's getting at there, and I can see why he says he'd well, like that, it, but it's not that, essential. No, ultimately, that, that just means they have that means they haven't found the right people to run the satellite team. Because Good point. the whole point about it is, is it shouldn't be a distraction. I'm pretty certain that, uh, you know, a factory which, which can make two bikes a year can make four. I know it's not two, you know, the, 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 the extra bikes, especially when they're going to start with the base of bikes that we had last year's bikes and test things around them. You know, it's, it's, it's finding these. And it's, you know, the thing to remember is that being a good quality reserve team effectively has, has strength itself. Hence, recent Tectoir moved from being the Yamaha um, satellite team to the KTM team. They didn't move because Yamaha didn't want it anymore. They moved because KTM offered them a shed more cash to be their satellite team. So, you know, if you're actually functionally quite good at it, that, you know, shock horror, there actually might be money to be made, John. Yes. Yeah, there's a business proposition there as well. Um, pretty quiet time of the year for MotoGP. Lots of plans going on ahead of the first test, which is not that far away now, actually. Oh, um, on the subject of testing. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Who, who's going to come out of retirement to do some testing? Oh, it's not Casey Stone because he's really no I know Casey Stone has some, he's not him he's suffering from a, uh, a, a de- dehabilitating illness isn't he? he's got a, a kind of a uh, uh, sort of weird kind of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome at the moment which is very unfortunate for him so you have to tell me who it is who is it is it, is it, is it um, Danny Pedrosa it's Jorge Lorenzo Danny Pedrosa did it last <laughs> he year he retired four weeks uh, Nick when uh Danny Petrosa obviously spent his retirement last year testing for... Um, yes, for KTM. Someone, KTM, was it? Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, Jorge Lorenzo has uh, been linked to the test driver role at Yamaha. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Seems unlikely, but uh, who knows what can happen in these weird worlds. Indeed. Uh, happy, per- uh, happy birthday for a couple of days ago to... Uh, Lewis Hamilton. Aika Lucona, oh. uh, uh, who has had his nasty operation for that sort of chronic carpal tunnel syndrome today, I've read. Uh, talking about KTM riders and so he starts his recovery uh, right now um, first race is in Lozale in March so testing starting fairly shortly I would have thought for, for most people what, what's been going on Tim what have you got for us uh, very little but uh, the uh, lovely people at uh, Repsol have uh, sent me an interview with uh, Alex Marquez so uh, Let's listen to uh, Let's what listen. he had to say about uh, joining the team and wearing those uh, famous Repsol colours. Jim come through. It's, it's like this. It's like an honour to, to, to have these colours on and to have the, this T-shirt on. So, yeah, really, really happy about the, the opportunity, really happy um, uh, to, to, to go to MotoGP with the Repsol on the team. So, yeah, uh, really proud. Uh, to see these colors uh, on my arms, you know, I get used to see my brother with this in my side, but not me, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, really special and really proud to have these colors. So, summing that up then, Alex Marquez, excited uh, about looking like his brother and, look, and wearing some new trousers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the, uh, the, uh, the over-propensity of, of Marquez is within the team is going to cause no confusion amongst the commentary team at all at any point. <laughs> Oh, seven, yeah. 73 uh, yeah. and 93 the two numbers as well I mean the, the, hopefully they'll use slightly different fonts on them or otherwise it is because they, uh, they won't well you can in MotoGP yeah. uh, your font style is part of is part of your brand Nick isn't it but the helmet colours yeah, yeah. are similar um, and their, their leathers obviously could be identical so there's got to be something that'll, that'll set do, them apart do you remember Back in the sort of turn of the two thousands, when McLaren was sponsored by um, the silver, when they were the silver arrows, and sponsored by um, a cigarette company, which was one of the directions of the compass. Um, yes. They, um, they, but they tried for a while being another direction of the compass, and they were told off for doing that. So in the end, they just put the drivers' names on the side pods, Mika and David, in yes, the style and um, the font yep. of said cigarette company. Well, surely can't they just change Repsol into yep. Alex and Mark, massive down the side, so you can work out oh, who the hell it is? That's that's a great idea. That is a great idea. Not quite enough letters for Repsol, though, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah I, just, I, just I did have David and not yeah. Dave for that one, man. No, yeah, that's very good. David, yep, no. uh, very... Think, sorry, sorry, sorry. Do you think Ron Dennis would have used Dave on the side of his car? Well, I was thinking because it had the same amount of letters. Yes. Yeah, yes, same so, amount yeah, of letters that... as the sponsor not the point you're not going to have a, a common shortening on the side of McLaren not Mr R. Dennis involved that would have been sub-optimal in the extreme absolutely uh, that's your motorcycle news for now we'll get across everything as the season gets a little bit closer um, sports cars here this weekend GT racing and a bit of news coming in from 
Daytona uh, at the Raw last weekend, the Raw before the Rolex 24. And if you haven't heard Shea's programmes, very well worth listening to. We'll do a proper roundup on next week's show. We've got Krillsy on, mentioned that earlier. Uh, we'll grab uh, Gearbox Girl as well, Shea Adam, uh, to round up some of the American news. He's uh, another Paul Dallalana. who uh, um, wasn't prepared to get up early to do this uh, show. I yeah. the commitment of uh, Paul Dallalana ruled out of the Rolex 24 Daytona. Did he have a skiing uh, accident? Is that what, did I read that? He did. He did have a skiing-related injury. He's one, so I more, bit more Aston Martin. What, a skiing-related injury? That's how he I dropped a yogurt on my, your foot. my other shoulder. No, I just my other shoulder oh. skiing. That sounds really, really exciting. I tell you, I fell over in the ski queue. I oh, fell over God, in the queue really? for the lifts. Yeah. And just take my shoulder. Unfortunately, it was a lift half way up, and I had to ski down in a caboose thing, and that was bloody painful for the bottom half of the run. The very first time I went skiing, which was 2000, with the guys that I was about to go and work for and with at RML, uh, I was learning how to ski, and so I did a few lessons and then sort of was okay and was skiing down to a restaurant with the much-missed Fast Dave, David Leslie, when he caught a ski tip on a, a piece of very hard frozen horse poo. Oh, uh, which sent him A over T. No, seriously, sent him A over T, dislocating his shoulder, and he managed to get down the, the mountain, and then we had to take him to a doctor and then subsequently get him flown home early. He wouldn't even let me drive him to the doctor, despite the fact he had a dislocated shoulder. He was tough. Was drivers for you. He'd obviously, he'd obviously seen you drive before. Anyway, back to Paul Dallalana. He hit a cat or yes. something, didn't he? Uh, no cats there. The uh, the beast master is very particular about that. Uh, he he did have a skiing related injury. Um, the. The car, of course, is funded by him. So it's an Aston Martin entry. Um, but Matty Lauder, Pedro Lamy and Ross Gunn, who's the factory driver, who they loan to them for the longer races. But basically, Paul, it's Paul's investment that puts that car on the grid. So question mark over that. I did offer myself as a bronze driver... But I did say that there wouldn't be any money coming, which I think may have and that was stood that. against <laughs> me slightly. <laughs> Very short phone call. Someone else you'll have uh, someone else you'll have heard from if you listen to all of Shay's uh, programmes from the Raw is Kyle Bush, mm. uh, yes. who wants to race at Le Mans, can't race at Le Mans this year because uh, it clashes. Um, Doesn't it clash every year? Because every everything is a race every single week in NASCAR. Yes, but if he were to uh, stop racing in NASCAR, um, then he would be able to race at Le Mans, and 2022 seems like uh, a likely year for that. But I am hearing rumours that this year he will race in something that is not NASCAR. Really? Um, but which happens on the then. same day as a big NASCAR race. Not the Indy 500? The Indy 500. 
Blimey. Oh, really? Mm. You could get the, the eleven hundred miles of America. And then fly from Indy to wherever the to the, wherever the six hundred is. Charlotte. Mm. He's. Uh, um, he wouldn't be the first, would he? No, Jeff Gordon did it, didn't he? Mm. Kurt that. Bush. Kyle's brother Kurt. Didn't he go to Le Mans last year? I think he did. I was just really? thinking. I'm sure. I'm sure Bush was at, at Le Mans last year, just gone. It rings no bells with me. But then it was a very forgettable year last year for Le Mans race-wise. I th- I think he went as a guest of Chip Ganassi. No, he wasn't racing. But I'm certain me. that was Kurt. He wasn't that was racing. Kurt, yes, and he but, was there as a guest of Chip Ganassi, um, and said that he also wants to race it one day. Oh, the Bush brothers at Le Mans. Who was the? Uh, who would have been the last NASCAR connected driver then? Montoya to be at Le Mans, Nick. Mm, no, I think, I think Le Mans. When was Montoya at Le Mans most recently? A couple of years ago, wasn't it? I don't know. I, I, well, I, there's uh, Michael guys Waltrip the, was there. The guys in the top flight, yeah. Michael Waltrip was few. there. Um, in a Ferrari, wasn't he? Because, because because of the incredibly heavy schedule now, was it takes six weekends out of thirty-seven? Um, they're never going to be free for two weekends for the rest of the test and the and the main event. So they have to retire before they can do it. So we we, we do see obviously every now and again some of the older races there. Uh, the other big sports car story that came out of Daytona, which is how we started this little segment here on Midweek Motorsport, episode one of season fifteen, um, was. Lamborghinis and if I tell you um, that they all had the wrong gear I'm not talking about what they were wearing did you pick this one up Nick? They're all yeah the gear stacks they? they had illegal gear stacks so they hadn't got the right ratios in I don't know how they managed to get that all obviously it wasn't it wasn't a it was obviously inefficiency rather than cheating because they all did it, and they all went over the neck, and it's an obvious foul. I mean, obviously, they, they, all they've lost is their, 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 their choice of pit box, isn't it? Um, from being disqualified from the qualifying for the uh, uh, from the Raw event. But, uh, yeah. It was so, all, all bar one. All bar one of them. So, one had, well, so they, they managed to get right on one of them, then. That's what the other, Five, what, what, did, I think... F- so, it was the GTDs, um, and... Five of six, so that was GRT Grasser Racing, the ironically named Gear Racing powered by GRT Grasser, Magnus GRT, and PPM uh, that didn't have the IMSA specific gears. Um, so is it actually is it just a set of gears like with an IMSA stamp, or are, are they actually different from the ratio stack that, that's normally in, or is it just they need to have a you know? whatever the gearbox equivalent of a, of a seal is on them. IMSA mandate as part of the balance of performance Daytona ah, specific so gearing. Thing. Okay. And what they were using were the gear package that is normal season races. So they weren't illegal, they weren't not homologated, they weren't... In fact, they were probably doing themselves down, to be honest. Um, I think PPM was the best qualifier of them. They'd finished fourth um, yeah that's right sorry just look that up now 
GRT, the GRT entered, car was 10th. The Gear GRT car was, uh, sorry, GRT was 9th. 10th was Gear. Magnus was 16th. Um, and the only Lamborghini not affected was the Paul Miller Racing entry. Um, championship winners a couple of seasons ago. And now with... Uh, uh, now with their championship winning drivers reunited, of course, uh, in that car. Uh, they were promoted up to 10th. And uh, so okay. uh, basically that only affects the pit lane garage, the pit lane stall and the garage locations doesn't yeah. affect the championship. If you remember, that was brought in um, a couple of it's seasons mean that ago. Be a to have a Lamborghini that pit in. <laughs> Uh, yes. Well, no, um, no, is it pit in or pit out? I can't remember, actually. Good point. Oh, yeah, it depends out, because right? you get to pick, don't you? Whoever well, one, end be yes, one, end, one end will be unpopular and they'll all be there. Or maybe the middle's unpopular. Um, well, it, it's not actually a Daytona because there's a gap. And so if you get the right box in the middle, you've got a gap right in front of you. Interestingly. Um, we'll pick up some more of this next week, but there is another story that um, I did want to talk about here, uh, and it's something that we followed for a little while, and it, it sort of started bubbling around whilst we were off for the Christmas break. It's now been uh, confirmed by new Mazda USA Motorsports director Nelson Cosgrove that the TCR Mazda 3 has been delayed by, well, they're seeing a year uh, due to what's been described as unforeseen issues. The Long Road Racing Team were going to be building and developing the car. Um, the time frame kept getting pushed back and uh, John DeGeese got the quotes from the new man at the top of Mazda and uh, Mr Cosgrove said the TCR car at its... Development had some pretty serious development challenges that were unforeseen by the group doing the engineering on it. Because of that, we could have continued to develop the car and do a lot of testing. We'll be doing that endurance testing next year as well. Um, now, also, long road racing, and this is, I, I haven't really got to the bottom of this. Uh, this is, um, the, these are the guys who prepped the, the, Global Cup cars, develop and build all the Global Cup cars, the MX-5s for, for Mazda, which I drove a couple of, one, a couple of years ago at uh, Road Atlanta, uh, Tom Long and his dad. Uh, that company's been wound down over the winter months, and, and we're not really sure what's happening with that. So it means that the uh, whatever happens with that new Mazda 3 TCR, it'll be done by someone else. Um, so uh, that's a, sh a shame. Um, they are going to use the Volkswagen two-liter four-cylinder turbo engine, which you're allowed to use um, a, a standard engine in the regulations rather than build their own. It's the same engine that you'll find in the RS3, uh, say, at Leon uh, Cupras, I should have said. Um, what we're hoping to see is that car out by the end of season 2020 um, if it, if him to give it a temporary homologation and that would make the fifth different TCR manufacturer uh, joining Audi, Alpha, Hyundai and Honda so we'll keep across that
John De Geese's story there from Sports Car 365. We talk about retirement news. <laughs> Who's retiring? Uh, Mark Blondell has announced that oh, yes, he, I saw uh, this. he is uh, retiring from uh, motor racing. He didn't have a very he successful had a bit of a year, swan did he? Song. He no, he had a bit of a swan song in British Touring Car Championship last year. Didn't and I go think, well, though, did it? No, uh, he scored five points. He found it. I had a chat with him halfway through the year at some event we were both at. And he knew, if, in fact, he came on the show, didn't he, at the start, did, of, the, start. of the year when, he, when it was announced. And then I, I, I had a chat with him part of the way through the year. And exactly what he said thought might be the issue. He, he really struggled getting to grips with front-wheel drive and also with British touring cars. Because British touring cars are pretty much a law unto themselves now, aren't they, Nick? It's a bit like, you know... Um, you know that in fact, no, there isn't anything like it. It is a car that is built purely for for that championship. Yeah, heavily balanced, um, you know, and and the front wheel drive cars. I mean, you're, you're you're against some very experienced teams and racers who've developed these things to within an inch of their lives, and so it's it, it's minute minute things can make a big difference. I think yeah, it's a it's a big ask for them to come in after several years off and no front wheel drive experience and and get on top of these things, you know. But uh, um, I think Mark was, was always committed to the second year more because he wanted to, to work with the sponsors and the rest of the team. So I don't know whether that that's all gone to, to pot as well. I think the well, original I mean, it was a good... thing was that he he was trying to find a sponsor for a driver that he manages um, and the sponsor said, no, why don't you take the car? Correct. Yeah, and he was going to try and get out of it and, and keep the sponsor. And I said, well, he's obviously got out of it. Whether he's kept the sponsor is the question. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, he said that in the interview with us, didn't he? Uh, pretty pretty clearly uh, at the start of of the year that it wasn't exactly what they um, were expecting um, to do, and he still he still got the um, MB three his MB management partners. company Tim MB Partners. Um, he's still part of that, and there's still plenty going. Uh, on there as well. Um, he still manages a lot of drivers. Um, yeah. Uh, including Gary Paffett, of course. Um, Mike Conway. Uh, um, Louis Foster. So the question is, did he keep HP as a sponsor? It was an Audi that he was, or oh, an Audi-shaped car that he was uh, driving. It was an Audi. Um, and the que- it was an S3. Uh, um, and the uh, the question is, has he kept the, the sponsorship for next year? Uh, Tom Blanquist, Jordan King, Callum Eilat, um, also on his books, Kian Jewis. Any... Any news about uh, whether uh, the the campaign continues in 2020? Not yet. Not yet, but I'm sure that'll be we'll an We'll have to get Billy course. back on the show, won't we? Yeah, shall we get Billy back on the show and find out? Talk, talk about what he's going to do uh, uh, or what his individual drivers are going to do. We know what a lot of them are doing uh, because... Uh, a lot of them are works drivers with long-term deals. 
Mm, absolutely. Uh, Midweek Motorsport Series 15. A little bit of a an uh, odd show with Nick and the team not with us as expected here due to circumstances beyond their and even British Airways control. And thanks for British, uh, to British Airways for looking after uh, our lot and everybody else on Flight 105, uh, which we are waiting for to take off from Istanbul and get to here. Um, global uh, global politics getting in the way of getting the boys here this weekend. And as the responsible adult said, it's the best excuse for being late for work that she's ever seen, Nick. So you, Even you're from Johnny Palmer? I think. Even from Palmer, yes. Well, Palmer no, I, tends I, I to make that his up, much. though. This one's real. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. have we got left? Uh, some more sports car stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, in European Le Mans series news, uh, some news that's not really news okay. to anyone. Which is? High Class Racing uh, has revealed it uh, will field an unchanged driver lineup yet again in the uh, <laughs> European Le Mans series uh, in 2020 with Anders Fjord back and Dennis Anderson uh, in the Orica Gibson. Mm. Uh, so that's the fourth consecutive year that uh, High Class Racing wow. has had uh, those two Danes. There is one mm-hmm. change, though. What? Uh, they will not be running on Dunlop tyres. Uh, they'll be running on Goodyear's. So no, they will not. The they'll be running will be. on Michelin's. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, th- I thought Good. I thought Goodyear had been... Um, ah, is it's that from next? L- LMP2 still has open tyres in ELMS. No. Uh, yes. Go on, then. Um, the... Uh, WEC uh, part of high class racing um, was on Goodyear's last year and switched to Michelin's halfway through the season um, so they've obviously found that uh, the Michelin's have performed better uh, in the uh, WEC and want to try them out in ELMS as well well they'll have to go back to Goodyear's in 2021 because that is when that they become the sole tyre supplier um, for ELMS. Uh, I couldn't remember which season it started on. Uh, They're going to be LMP2, European Le Mans series from 2021, and the WEC from 2020 in a 2021. So, all right, interesting. Uh, Let's finish up, Nick, um, before we let you go to... Um, have lunch. a snooze or get back to the airport no, or good bit, dinner, bit of dinner before he, be, before he heads back to the airport um, with this weekend <laughs> and the Hankook 24 hours of, of Dubai René de Boer earlier on uh, tipping Black Falcon which is you know not a, a left field choice there but in uh, and as we were saying in the newly named GT3 Pro category uh, Black Falcon, WRT, SPS, GPX. There's a lot of good teams there, including the return of Barwell Motorsport with their Huracan, who won a crackingly close race at Barcelona early in the year. HTP Winwood Motorsport, Winwood, uh, Russell and Bryce Ward having taken over HTP, saved HTP, you, you might say. Car Collection Motorsport are back as well. Uh, not all the latest cars, as far as uh, they could be. Uh, Santelot Racing are back. 
A Temptor are back. Herbeth are back. Of course they are. Earl Bamba Motorsport are here in the GT3 AM category. Who should we be looking at? Um, well, what do, we, what do we think we're getting this year for the first time? A bit of rain. A lot of rain. Rain is forecast throughout, not bucketing down, but there's rain forecast throughout the event, on and off, which means there's going to be a lot more pit in and out than normal. Who are the masters of the pit lane? Herbert Motorsport. They're the same team, but with Sven Muller added to it, so even quicker. I think you would be a fool to, to bet against the, uh, the multiple series champions. Uh, so I am going to put my money on uh, Herbert Motorsport with my second guest, because I decided to have two, um, for the um, the second of the Audi WRTs, which is basically is the refugees from the Lamborghini team that's been on pole for the last two years. Uh, Mika Bertolotti and Nietzsche and brothers. Uh, they've all, the three of them have switched across to, Lam- to Audi as Mirko is now an Audi team driver. So they are my second bet. So it's the, that's my choice of two. The 91 car or the, I think that WRT car is the 31. I, I like your thought. And what I'm going to say is if it is going to be wet, I, I like your thought for Herbert for two reasons. One, because of what you said. But also if it's wet, a Porsche in the wet... These are proper Porsches with the engine still behind the bat wheels and traction shouldn't be a problem. So I'm going to add to that as well. Look at the other Porsches. Um, Most of them are in the AM category, though. That's the only thing that I would say that. But GPX Racing are here with Stewie Hall in the car, who's only semi-pro rated, by the way. Jordan Kroger is the, the other... Uh, semi-pro, and then the um, the pros Julian Andlauer, who knows how to drive, with Fred Fatien and Dirk Werner as well. So Dirk Werner and Julian Andlauer are the two pros. That's pretty good. And I mentioned the Bamba Motorsport car, old Bamba Motorsport car. That's got Tim Muller and Jürgen Herring in it with Will Bamba, who is normally team manager, He's rated as the semi-pro. They don't have a pro driver in that car. They've got Gerard Lopez and Eric Lux. Eric Lux is a tidy, tidy driver. Now, I don't think they're possibly there for overall. But again, if it's wet with a Porsche, I think it could be a, a, a good a good weekend for the rear-engined car. Uh, Nick and the rest of the team will be wending their way here. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, up... <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, if you can't we'll make update. it, Nick, there is a really good disused Formula One circuit not far from you. So you could go yes, and put we'll, on we'll a little just, race of your own. We'll, 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 well, there's plenty we'll of cars the, parked on it at the, the moment as well. Uh, the abandoned uh, Istanbul race circuit, yeah. Tilka's finest creation, I think it's used, what, six times? It's, uh, it's used to store cars on at the moment. Mm. It's used as a, a big car park. Like for, for various. For, for, yes, absolutely. For, ver- for various vehicles. Um, we'll keep you updated as to whether we get the first session of uh, practice on, which was only meant to be on the radio uh, on Thursday morning. It's, it's looking unlikely that we'll be able to do that. But we've got sound and vision for everything else. Because it would be me on my own, <laughs> yes. Um, and, well, because we want to give the guys a chance to actually get some sleep. Um, the... 
the rest of the weekend is in Sound and Vision. Check www.radio-show.co.uk. It's on RS1 and in Sound and Vision we'll have the streams. We've also got the F3 and F4 races as well. Mm. It's uh, the F3 Asian Championship, which is uh, actually very important uh, from a earning um, super license points point of view. Um, we mentioned it briefly when we talked about Jamie Chadwick in the first hour. Mm. Um, she is one of a number of uh, very well-known drivers uh, taking part in this. You've also got Jake Huser, you've got Nikita Marzipan, who was a uh, test driver for uh, Racing Point, are they called now, Nick? They certainly are. Sport uh, pays at Racing Point in some, some, in some ways. Yes, Jack Doohan, son of Pietro Fittipaldi, who's uh, half Who was runner-up in the driver. championship last year. Um, you've got Tatiana Calderon. Uh, you have... Um, Many others. <laughs> Definitely many others. Uh, and F- uh, many more. F4. Now, this is yeah. the United Arab Emirates Formula 4 Championship and uh, yeah. has a lot of drivers that I have not heard of in it. But there are two that uh, you do want to point uh, pick out. Uh, Rima Jafali from Saudi Arabia raced in yeah. British F4 last year. I uh, think she's the first female competition license holder from that country from Saudi Arabia she is indeed um, and uh, also um, Amd al Kubaisi, and daughter of one of two racing sisters and yes. I think she's already stood on the podium didn't we talk about this at the end of the year she, there was a non-championship race at Yas Marina and she was, uh, I think she was on the top step of the podium for that. That's right, yes. It'll be Bruce Jones doing, yes, be she, she Bruce Jones doing the, the F4. But, uh, she, uh, she won the first race. Alex Connor um, was in that race. I'm not sure if he's still in the championship, though, uh, but he certainly did the Yas Marina uh, races and mm. uh, was on the podium in both of those. Um, in terms of uh, other drivers, you can expect to see... Um, uh, Dexter Patterson, he's a Scottish uh, driver just out of karting. Um, he's reckoned to be quite good, isn't he? Uh, yes. I've heard a few people talking about him. Um, so we'll get. And, but it'll be uh, Bruce Jones and Joe Bradley who do the F4, by the way. And there are three races from F4 four and three races, races from, from F3. F4 and three from F3. Oh, is there? Three, yes. Okay. Well, it'll be Bruce and Joe that does F4 and F3. That's going to be me. And um, I was watching them, and they're all red, white, and black. All of the cars. Thanks a lot. Uh, they've all got different all numbers of them. on them. Uh, thanks. Mm. Yeah, actually, the numbers are quite big on the uh, on the end of the rear wings. They're actually quite easy to, to, to pick out the numbers, so long as you can see the side of the car. Uh, thank you to Nick Damon in Istanbul, not Constantinople. Tim Gray was up in London. The responsible adult is everywhere. Of course. Uh, join us for our live coverage of the Hankook 24 Hours of Dubai, the 15th edition of the opening international endurance race of 2020. Good to have your company for that over the weekend. I'm John Hindorf. There's no time to explain because without the rest of the boys here, the llama has got a lot more barbecue to eat. Well, Happy New Year, llama. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year.
Happy New Year. And Happy New Year.